0: If you're looking for reading, writing, and afternoon delighting, then you're in the right place. Yes, yes, listeners, welcome back to the Nib section, official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. It is our 50th episode, and uh, we've got a lot to cover for you. So we've got uh, Diana here. Hello. Uh, Our fearless leader once again, gathered in the room, the living space of Sharon. Sharon, welcome again. Hello. And uh, Tav, Tav back to join us once again.
1: Hey, hey. Uh,
0: As always, uh, my name is Chuck. Listeners, this is our 50th episode. We've done a few landmarks over the past few episodes, but this is uh, officially Number five oh, and uh, I'd love to hear what we are writing with today. Uh, I'll start off. I am writing with an Aurora Sole Optima that I had to look high and low to find. Um, but the nib on this one is a broad uh, that originally came with a different Aurora, but this broad has been tuned by the guest that will be coming in uh, on the episode later in the interview section uh, and it is pretty great i've got robert oster uh, ing special uh, 16 in it and i love this pen uh, it's great and it's a great <laughs> nib uh, to put in one of my grails that was seb chiming in let's get di in di what are you writing with today oh.
2: <laughs> she's uh, writing with a mouthful of truffle sure, 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 sure. <laughs> we, we might have to... very well timed okay what am i writing with not really, because I'm not holding anything. One hand is was holding a mic, the other hand is holding cheese. But what I will be riding with is my clear kakuno, pilot kakuno, with an EF nib. What makes this kakuno special is that the cap of the kakuno has been covered with a rushi and lovingly radened. so um, pieces of abalone shell have been placed into the rushi and then lacquered over by our frequent guest host, Brian Zapucho.
0: Brian. Shout out to Brian. Brian has also, uh, this, this is not the only Urushi work that he's done for a member of the pod, but it is one of the earliest that I've seen.
2: Uh-huh. Most amount of painstaking work on a $40 pen.
0: Uh, this Kakuno this has, has definitely shown up before, and I am still uh, impressed with the uh, finish that he's gotten on it, because it alternates between large and small pieces.
2: Yeah, between the different
3: facets. The Galaxy Kakuno. What about you, Sharon? Uh, So I'm riding with something that I haven't whipped out for a while, but um, it's a Pilot Falcon, the metal Falcon in the red finish, the red burgundy finish, metallic red. um, Beautiful pen with a stock... Um, soft fine nib And uh, it's currently inked with Okuyama I haven't actually written with this pen for a while And um, whipped it out the other day And I was just reminded of how great it is
0: Okuyama This is one that you guys kind of talk about a lot That I haven't really had a chance to play with But I do like the colour of It's a nice uh, what, what would you call it? A burgundy?
2: Very sheeny burgundy Or w- w-
1: bordeaux colour yep. It's a great match for the body of the pen Really Yeah Yep yeah. Great pairing, if you've yeah, uh, it was, to...
3: I had actually inked it for the Colour Coordination podcast app, but um, never got around to whipping that one out.
0: Uh, and Tav, what are you writing with today?
1: I'm writing with a black Parker Vacuumatic Jr., uh, approximately from 1930. The nib on it is not original to the pen, I believe, but it is a, a factory triple broad, yep. uh, quite possibly the broadest non-italic nib in my collection. Um, by far the broadest vintage nib that I've ever used. And in fact, probably by vintage terms, it's probably a quadruple broad. The thing is a monster and I absolutely love it. It's I've got it. Sorry.
0: Huge. It's, it is it's huge. It's a big line. And for those that aren't super into uh, Parker Vacumatics, they are smaller than they look.
1: Yeah, it's a little one. It's a little pen, probably about the size of a maybe a, a Sailor Pro Gear Slim maybe yeah, little, little one, but thinner than that. Yeah. Very small, massive nib. Um, the, the nib itself, like the actual body of the nib is quite small, but the tip is just gigantic and it's got, I've just got it inked with plain old, uh, Lamy black, which is actually a little bit too dry for that pen. So I've had to put something in the ink to kind of liven the flow up a bit, but yeah, go figure.
0: Okay. Well, We've got some news uh, in the Sydney Penn Show news, which is going to be happening on uh, Sunday, the 25th of August in Sydney. I'll look it up on Facebook if you want further details. But uh, the nib section will be recording a live show, if all goes as planned. Uh, we'll, we'll announce times on Instagram and Facebook when it's decided, but we'll be there uh, in person recording. We, we will provide live confirmation that it is not a Simone situation. Uh.
2: So the specs of that is you don't need to buy tickets. Uh, you only need a ticket to the show itself to get entry to the main hall, but you don't need to buy tickets for the live recording. Once we announce the time, you can just, there'll be a limited number of seats available and we'll be in the main hall and there will be a small amp situation so that people within a certain radius will be able to hear us. But you will also have the opportunity, there'll be a mic, so you can, take, you can answer, ask us questions and we can answer them live. We'll we'll give you more. I'm very of that. nervous about this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well,
2: we'll be fine. What's the worst that could happen? We'll be okay. What's the are, worst that could happen? We People to, we know could turn up live and just. <laughs> are we going to be
0: recording preloaded? Are we? Will we have thermoses?
2: We will have thermoses. <laughs> if it's in the afternoon. I think we can safely say that we will not be sober. I actually land from New Zealand that morning. Oh, really? (laughs) No, you don't because you have... I have multiple trips. So um,
3: I actually land that morning, guaranteed will not be sober.
0: Okay. So our main topic today is about pens being uh, tuned to order. There's uh, a quite quite easy way. And the, the main way that people get pens is right out of the box. But those of us that have used fountain pens for a while know that the experience out of the box may be reliable with some companies and may not be reliable. And even with a reliable company, you may want an experience that is not readily available. So there is quite an industry of post-sale or uh, we'll we'll talk about this on-sale nib technicians. um, And there's not just a handful.
2: Yeah, and this is, I think, a fairly um, recent innovation in the market Correct me if I'm wrong, Tav.
1: Um, Yes and no. Um, I think pen repairers have always been there behind the scenes, but having, you know, sort of almost boutique nib repairers and nib customizers is a relatively new thing, I think.
2: I mean, because fountain pens these days are a – well, I think there's a few factors. One, fountain pens are rarer these days, so it's more difficult to just buy – a fountain pen in the market and have it meet all your specifications right and because to, less people use them
0: and to find someone that you could approach about that because you could mm-hmm. i mean there's uh lemmy safaris or say at, uh, at any given uh large news agency but if you were then to take that lemmy safari back to the news agency and be like i right. need you to do something about this nib yeah 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 not a lot of the employees are so, going to immediately... So
2: technology, like yes. the manufacturer and the customer are closer now, and there's yes. more avenues for people who work with nibs to have a direct line of contact with the customer. Yes. Anyway, um, what you'll hear now is the interview that Chuck did with Annabelle. Annabelle Hiller, who's nib technician for Apple Bomb a couple of weeks ago. And this is from the nib technician's perspective. So here's Annabelle and Chuck.
0: Hey there, Scribes and Scribblers. Chuck here with a special treat for you all. Returning guest of Myriad Talents, we last spoke to her in episode 30, where we picked her brain on QC, details of the Dutch pen community, and the nitty-gritty of nib work. She's a jeweler, a harpist, and most interestingly for our listeners, she's a nib technician. I'd love to welcome Annabelle Hiller. Yay! Hi. How are you, Annabelle?
4: I'm all right.
0: A bit tired how are you uh yeah we've, we've kind of flipped positions for anybody that's uh, listened to the last episode last episode it was afternoon for annabelle and it was 3am in the morning for me and now it's in the late afternoon for me and annabelle has just woken up We're we're going to balance things out with this with this interview in uh, a few things have happened with annabelle since we've last spoken to her there's uh, been a lot of developments, um, even just just nib wise Before we get into that, Annabelle, um, what are you riding with today?
4: Um, I'm riding with a Pilot Custom 74 with a fine medium. Is that what the F stands for? I don't know. I got it from a friend recently. I was like, if you want to have it, you can have it. And I didn't like it. And then I tuned it, and now it's good. Now I like it.
0: Sure. Which? Um, what color is the body for that one?
4: Uh, it's black. 14K um, nib. Not very
0: exciting, but it's nice. I am writing with today uh, one of my Auroras, um, an Aurora 88. Uh, that Tav from the pod has turned into a medium cursive italic for me. And it is pretty much permanently loaded with a yellow ink at all times. What
4: uh, yellow?
0: I've been given for my birthday uh, a bottle of Robert Oster uh, ink special, 16. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's a very like nice orangey-yellow ink. Annabelle, lots of uh, nib news for you. Uh, last last we spoke, uh, for those of you not in the know, um, Annabelle is one of the nib technicians working at uh, Applebaum. Since then, a few other things have happened uh, more recently. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that, Annabelle?
4: Sure. It's been, it's been a bit crazy, actually. Um, So a couple weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago now, we had our first Dutch pen show, as in the Utrecht pen show, which is different from the other pen show that we've had in the Netherlands, which is very old and kind of... It's very much based on vintage pens, and it's been the same for 30 years. And this new pen show was just a lot more of a pen convention um, than a traditional pen show, I'd say. And when the organizers of that pen show first... Um, reached out to me, they asked me if I would offer my NIP services that day. And I said, sure, I'd, I'd absolutely love to. And then not too long after that, they asked whether I'd be okay with another NIP specialist coming to the event. And, you know, because some people might say that I minded the competition. Um, but it, So the other person is John Serofka from the UK. And I was over the moon <laughs> to, to hear that someone else would be there because I've been doing this by myself for the last few years now and I've never had the opportunity to learn from a fellow NIP specialist, especially not someone who's had, you know, an odd fifty years of experience. So I said as as long as I can, you know, sit next to him and kind of every now and then just peek at what he's doing, I'd absolutely love to to have him there. And it it turned out even better than I could have imagined. So John and I sat next to each other during the pen show. And he was the most generous person. He had had a kit of tools prepared for me that I could familiarize myself with. So every now and then I would ask him for his opinion or a diagnosis on a NIP. um, And he would not be bothered by that at all. I mean, most satisfying for me was the fact that he would usually come to the same conclusion as me. So he's been incredibly generous and kind. And we spent the entire day both working our butts off. Um, So for the competition part, we both got you know, a fair share of work. So, so that has been kind of a game changer for me now, because I now have someone older and more experienced than me that I can kind of lean on. And so he lives in the UK, and I'm still in the Netherlands. Um, but he's offered me some amazing opportunities. Like, he's going to be at the London Pen Show. As he, I think he's pretty much at every UK Pen Show. But he was like, hey, I have a second table at the London Pen Show. I will trust you with any nib of mine so why don't you come and share the tables with me? Which, if you've been doing this on your own for so long and then you suddenly get this kind of validation of, oh, you are really good, That that's just...
0: <laughs> yeah. No,
4: I can't wrap my head
0: up. Sounds like a wonderful opportunity as well.
4: Absolutely, yeah. So
0: when is there the London Pen Show?
4: I think that is happening in October. Um, he also invited me to the Newcastle Pen Show, which is happening in September. The only issue is that I'm still technically a full-time student and so <laughs> technically the nib stuff is still just like a side hustle um, except it's kind of blowing up right now <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm trying my best to balance the two and I'll hope I can I hope I can make the time to go to as many pensions as possible while still doing my hours for my internships and stuff so I hope that works out.
0: yeah that sounds um, that sounds really interesting some a lot of upcoming changes for you. Well your your nib work is actually why we've come back to interviewing you again. We we were having a little discussion uh Sharon and Diana and I uh and we were talking kind of about how many of us buy pens and judge how they work and base our expectations of the pen on what happens out of the box. Right mm-hmm. versus how many of us buy a pen and immediately, almost, uh, regardless of whether it's a perfectly pleasant or fine, fine's probably not the, the right word, it could be confusing. <laughs> um, regardless of whether it's a perfectly pleasant writing experience or not, sight unseen or you know maybe even within uh, a couple of weeks, just uh, send it off to get someone to work on it. I know Sharon tends towards out of the box uh, and has had some nibs worked on Diana as well. Uh, I have a very small collection and I probably have more of my nibs that have been worked on comparatively for my collection, um, including a couple that are off with uh, Michael Masayama right now. Balancing your experience with Applebaum and just your general nib work um, and services that you've you've been offered, um, how many people do you think get a fountain pen and try it out and then maybe send it to you for something that they perceive to be lacking in it versus how many people get a fountain pen and send it straight off to you? Because I know that that would kind of jibe in with the Apple Boom kind of service to, to have it looked over. Yeah.
4: yeah, so we on the website, we now have this little button, which is the Annabelle button. So as you order it, you can check whether you would want the nib to be tuned um, before we send it out, which means there's a slight delay in uh, sending the pen, but it's going to land on my table first. The number has definitely increased because not everybody's aware that I do it, um, but now that there's an actual button more people are, you know, likely to push it. In any instance, I would still always want to keep the integrity of the nib itself, so I would never, if I'm just tuning the pen, I would never want to change the nib's so much as to it not being what the manufacturer intended for the nib to be, yeah. Right. So I say there's always going to have a little feedback, and I'm not going to go out of my way to completely change the nib in that regard, unless, um, you it's know, asked for. And yeah, exactly. And um, but how? It's really difficult to say because I don't, I don't have the statistics, but it happens a lot that at least they want your control. But very often, people also specifically say, I want this nib to be as smooth as possible or as wet as possible. Or
0: you know. Stepping away from Applebaum um, and kind of like your own personal nib services, uh, like say, for example, that you would have seen at the pen show, the people that saw you, do you find that they see you soon after purchase or do they like? sit on their pen for a while and then um try to figure something out before seeing you
4: it was interesting at this show there was also this um sell and trade um table where people could just drop off their pens and then for other people to buy so a lot of people that bought a pen secondhand there would immediately come to me because they're like oh i just bought this pen it's not exactly what i want can you adjust that but I think the people that immediately come back only do so if there's actually something major that's not great about it. Like there was, I think in Aurora, that was too, I think the times were too far apart, for instance. So that was just like an actual issue. I think there's, there's something to be said between an actual issue and just adjusting to someone's preference. I think people will sit longer to see if they, you know, can get comfortable with the very characteristics of the NIP, but if there's an actual issue, I think people will come back right away.
0: How much of that work piles up, do you think? Is is there much of a backlog? And I mean that for, for both your, your personal and for, for Applebaum. And, um...
4: So with Applebaum, I usually, whenever I come in, I have about 20-ish pens set on my desk. And we usually get through them right away. So I think 20 is a good amount that can be done in a day. As for backlog, as to what's on my table at home, pens tend to sit there a lot longer because I am a full-time student and work at Uppelbaum, so there's just not that many hours in a week for me to sit down and do nip work. So that usually tends to take a bit longer. So any adjustment you'd want at Uppelbaum would take about a week. Um, Anything you send to me might take a little bit longer, depending on how much is going on.
0: What do you find your most frequent requests are. I know for a lot of mine that I've sent off, the majority have been oh I don't know if it's a majority. Let's let's see. I've got one so I've got one um needlepoint from Mark Bacchus. Um I've got a stub uh a cursive italic from Tav. And Tav has done stubs and cursive italics for me for a number of other pens. Um, that I've moved on, but I've wanted to always have one of Tav's nibs with me.
2: <laughs>
0: I've got one already done by Mike Masuyama and two with him. So that's six all up out of my... Yeah, the majority of those have been narrowing um, or sh- or shaping. I don't really have many pens that I have sent off to someone. I, th- I think partially because um, being in Australia and everyone's so far away. Um, for tuning and I think partially because tuning is sort of a thing that you can kind of get done at home yeah. if, you, if you have the right tools but when people send things to you what are the things that they most frequently request
4: so I think up until now it was usually mostly tuning and like there would be issues like baby bottom or no flow or whatever that was up until recently I think last time we talked I wasn't doing custom grinds yet
0: or you were just starting, I think we we, we yeah. were touching on it.
4: Yeah, yeah, I was just yeah. I think I just started practicing, but now that is a service that I offer. Um, I say reluctantly because it's not been that long, um, but so more people will approach me about that now, knowing that that I do so, and that it, like you said, that's not something that anyone can do at home, or I w- at least I wouldn't advise it. <laughs> That is also something that I try to help with when, whenever people do send me pens and so they have an issue with it. I will try to explain to them exactly what is going wrong with the pen, um, or what it is they're experiencing and what it is I'm doing to adjust that issue, you know, to educate. Cause, cause it's cool to know and it's cool to be able to, you know, adjust your own pens just a little bit. Um, but I'm also very careful with that because some people are like, oh, I'll just get that, that polishing paper that you have and I'll just do a bunch of figure eights and then that'll fix them. I'm like, no, <laughs> please don't. Because um, if they diagnose it wrong, then they might just make the issue a lot worse. So for the most part, it's been general tuning or actual issues that existed um, and getting rid of those. But now it's getting more and more into custom grinds especially now that I've invested in more tools for myself as well, which is very exciting.
0: (laughs) Do you have like a preferred kind of nib work you like doing? What's been your most unusual request?
4: Um, My most, I mean, nothing has been too crazy. So, I mean, some people have asked me to modify steel nibs to make them bouncier, which honestly I'm not very experienced with. So I told them it was just a a cheap hound nib. I was like, you know, I have a bunch of those at home. I'll experiment with it and I'll show you the results. <laughs> if you don't like it, that's okay. <laughs> Even recently, someone sent me an email because they wanted a Lamy Two Thousand nib modified to be more flexible. But but that's just something that that I um, refuse to do because the nib itself is already so small. I
0: can't imagine <laughs> that there's a whole lot to do with that one.
4: Exactly, because you know the the alloy is already what it is, Um, and then just the architecture of the nib itself is, you know, it's kind of slim, and the ratio of thickness to length is just what it is. So if I even were to cut out, there wouldn't be a lot of nib left. So I I kindly declined, (laughs) and then um, told them about John, and maybe John could help them. John told them the exact same thing as I did. So
0: yeah, so uh, Annabelle. For someone that follows maybe what you do on your, your Instagram, your social media, I think you have recently completed like a…
4: a the course that I'm doing, it's a four-year course, and I'm now in my last year doing the internship. And the the way that you finish that course is with your masterpiece. That's what it's called, um, which in my case, spoilers, is going to be a fountain pen. Um, yep. so, so there's much debate within the… Um, Goldsmith community as to whether you're actually whether you can actually call yourself a, a master goldsmith by the end of your course because you have made a, a you know a masterpiece. So there's much debate um, amongst professionals as to at what point you can actually call yourself a master of the craft. Um, some say you need to have 10 years of experience and need to have taught other people. Others say once you've made your masterpiece, you're a master of the craft. So there's many different definitions, and there's nothing official. So anyone could just go about and call themselves a master goldsmith, technically.
0: Well, there, there was something <laughs> there was something you wrote. I found that post now. Mm. There's, there's something you wrote on, on a post recently that I thought was, was quite interesting, um, just exploring that. You've written, um, you see, way back when a master goldsmith was just that, a forger and solderer of gold, who would, upon finishing their piece, hand it to a master polisher, who again would do just that, polish the piece to a level of mastery. You'd have master setters and master engravers, who in their respective fields had achieved the highest proficiency. In 2019, I need to be much more than that, though. I need to be an adequate goldsmith, polisher, setter, engraver, designer, CAD designer, photographer, web designer, marketing and social media specialist, accountant, and also... Keep my sanity. Um, and I think that's that's a really interesting point in that because this is increasingly a niche market and handmade is becoming sort of less less pervasive, that you do need to adopt a lot of those roles and on, on top of the other ones. But you have a little bit of a follow-up, which is very interesting for me, where you say here, uh, least of all, do we ever consider that these masters of their craft... Historically men could only become what they were because of the invisible women behind them making sure their laundry meals and other chores had all been taken care of. So in the future call me goldsmith, master goldsmith, nibmeister, nib specialist, or just adequate at best. I'll always strive to get better, but times are a-changing, and contrary to popular belief, language is bound to change with it. There's a number of stuff there that I love, uh, namely that uh, language is a living document and uh, language changes with us and to allow the communication to evolve uh, is to allow growth in your own methods of communication. But also the bit that I first touched on is the part about the domestic labor that's normally associated with uh, women you know, in the home and that people often don't consider... Proficiency and specialty is allowed in any aspect uh, because other people have picked up things for you. Uh, most of us are able to do the jobs that we do in our respective societies because someone else is growing the food and someone else is taking care of the plumbing, etc. Um, and it's an interesting one that you bring up that historically men and uh, masters of these craft. Uh, could only become what they were because of the women that were taking care of their domestic workloads. And uh, that's an interesting one for me. You have a, you have any further thoughts on that?
4: I mean, now listening back, I sound very smart in my Instagram post. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, absolutely, I think there's something to be said. Not that the mastery that people have achieved is not impressive. It absolutely is. But there's a reason why they could get there. There's just... This thing called time. And if you have other things to do in that time, you'll have less time practicing your craft. So that is, um, especially in this day and age, everybody wants to be kind of like a jack of all trades, but also ideally a master of everything, which is to that degree just not feasible because we're all, you know, we're adults. We have to do dishes, we have to do laundry. And so in the time that's left, we will try to become as good as possible, but it's just not likely to happen unless we are as privileged as some people
0: were. Yeah, most most of us don't have uh, staff and help.
4: Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: and i that's help with a capital H. Yeah.
4: yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, that does uh, take an interesting topic to mind because um, if you were to look around the fountain pen community, predominantly the people that are spoken about in terms of, you know, niche and specialist Uh, nib work and pen making um, across the board Mm -hmm. um, is predominantly um, men is this is something that you'd find
4: uh yeah absolutely and uh, let me welcome you to something beautiful called um the glass escalator effect (laughs) um i don't know if you're familiar with the term but it's it's quite interesting also coming from um you know the music background that I have been in. For example, I I was a harpist, right? I studied at the conservatory. And usually if you imagine a harpist, you'd imagine a pretty young lady at a at a harp. Um yet all the famous harpists and the most admired um harpists in the in the harp world, they're all male. Isn't that curious? <laughs> and so it is with Uh, with nib work, I think, when I went to the Pelican factory um, last year, I was talking to the head, I don't, someone important at Pelican, I don't know, Um, and she would say, oh, isn't it curious that it's mostly women who seem to be capable of doing the fine nib work and to have this kind of, you know, sense as to whether a nib bites well or not. To which I said, (laughs) and it was not a very popular thing to say, apparently, which I said but maybe it's because historically that it was just a less well-paid job <laughs> yeah. you know because I think it's it's silly to say oh women are just better at nip work because all the famous nip meisters note how that is also a male exclusive word the nibmeisters are all male I, I'm the only nip specialist that I'm aware of that is female yeah I think maybe that... I'm not there are very many.
0: There are a couple within um, classic pens themselves that uh, have definitely worked on pens that I, I'd received from there, um, but they those are not the names that they trade upon.
4: Yeah, yet. exactly. I was talking again. I was talking to John about it, who also very much rejects the word um, nibmeister. He thinks it's ridiculous that. That it's not even, you know, consistent in language because Nib is English and Meister is German. But Meister, in and of itself, in the German language, is a male word. So the the female word would be Meisterin, Nib Meisterin, um, or if you were to translate Nib Master, Nib Mistress, and he said that kind of had a cheeky tone to it. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's definitely curious and. Um, you know, language evolves so and so does the world. So perhaps we can allow things in that regard to change as well.
0: Well, that's, um, that's interesting. Thank you for sharing your uh, time <laughs> with us, Annabelle. I'm sure we'll um, think of some more questions for you again. I'll, I'll have to check in on you regularly. You'll have to let me know how the London Pen Show goes.
4: Will do, will and, do. <laughs> and uh,
0: if you go to any of the other ones.
4: There'll I'll be run. a bunch coming
0: up. Thank you once again. A reminder that anybody that shows up on the NIB section uh, can plug or uh, recommend something. So, uh, Annabelle, do you have any recommendations for um, our listeners this time around? Oh
4: boy! Wait, wait, hold did up! You, did you forget? Quick... Oh no! I, I wasn't sure whether you're going to ask me this time. Okay, give me a second. Ah, oh, so much. Um, I caught me off guard. Okay, I have something. Yep. Are you ready? go ahead house plants
0: house Houseplant.
4: <laughs> plants are amazing and they make your house a lot more comfortable and they'll you know freshen up the air and it's something living and growing that you can you know kind of track and i've recently gotten slightly obsessed with it and it's been a delight
0: what uh, What is your preferred house plant? I know my housemates have uh, have some definite
4: favorites. So my personal favorite are Calatheas. For those of you that don't know, they, they're these funky little plants that at night will put up um, the foliage. So they just kind of like close off and go to sleep. And the underside of, of the foliage is usually purple at night you just have this little purple thing and then during the day they will open up again and then you know oh it's daytime uh, my Calathea is awake and so am i what a good time
0: (laughs) my housemates like uh deliciosa monstera i believe
4: Mm. Uh, yeah we just got all of those as well
0: yeah which is just fun to say Okay, so uh, recommending uh, plants for your house. Uh, I will say um, if you do have pets uh, running around your house, uh, some very common house plants uh, can be toxic for animals that like to chew uh, and, and nibble on plant matter, which thankfully mine do not, but um, <laughs> it is something to keep in mind. Uh, so look after your plants and animals.
4: Right, so. Uh I'm planning on getting a dog as soon as I'm done with school. and But at that point, I'll be making sure that all the, you know, dog inappropriate plants will be in a separate room. Yeah, you
0: yeah. got to be careful with that. It's a very dog-centric pod. Um, I'm sure uh, all of the other hosts um, can recommend the joys of a dog ownership, uh, even though uh, a lot of our other hosts uh, also have cats. And I believe our, our logo still has a cat central to it. Um, um yeah. Yeah, pets and plants. Those are our <laughs> recs for today, I suppose. Uh, thank you very much, Annabelle. Um, I look forward to our next chat.
4: Me too. Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, so, this this industry, uh, I kind of wanted to talk about. We've we've talked to Annabelle before about about nib technicians and what kind of work she does and stuff, but. I wanted to approach the topic a different way this time, and in that how many people are sight unseen before the pen has even touched their hand? How many people are chasing uh, a particular type of nib, a particular type of experience, that they are willing to get a pen and have someone work on it right off the bat without it coming to them? Um, And so the, the very first thing I wanted to bring up is there are number of retailers now that combine both the sale of the pen itself with the nib work and it'll be on the page when you're buying it online is that you'll have what type of nib would you like further drop down box uh, what type of color if there's multiple colors and then there will be what kind of grind would you like?
2: Yeah, and I think Nibs.com was a leader in this. Yeah,
0: so integrated that it's on the same page. It's not a. I know with Appleboom, it's a comment box that you're you have to talk to them about specific things. And I think tuning they can safely agree on. I don't know how much actual grinding. Uh, or custom grinds that Annabelle does for Applebaum versus stuff she will do for other people that approach her in the pen community. I feel relatively new to the community, and I don't know how much of this there was. By the time I came around, Nibs.com had this, uh, and it was integrated into their website. Was this always a thing that kind of came around, or was it just get the pen?
3: Um, So call me a bit old-fashioned, but when I buy a pen, I expect it to be new in box and uninked, untouched. Untested. Untested, with the exception of Lamy's, because they test them all in the factory. But aside from that, uh, I expect all my pens to be untouched, uninked. I don't buy a lot from nibs.com because of that particular reason, although I, I have bought. So the things that I buy from nibs.com, I know that I will ink at some point in time. I'm not just going to keep it yeah. in storage. And yes, I know it's shocking, but I do buy pens just to keep in storage. Um, that That's a personal quirk. But from when I started buying pens. New inbox NIB was a really big deal. And if you had something that was NIB, then it was worth a lot more than something that was tested and tweaked and tuned. Nowadays, it might be really different. So when I, uh, for instance, if I sell any pens that I own, I always offer to test them before they go out as an option, or they can have it NIB, new inbox, the way that I got it. Um, so, for me, I expect a pen to work straight out of the box without any tuning, and I prefer them untuned. Mm.
1: So sacrilegious. Oh, well, nibs.com, I think they do have a box you can check if you want them to not you don't, touch you, it. You, you don't no, have no. a box. You, you have, have to write to, a comment. You, you have, have to specifically, specifically ask for it not to be. Yeah, I know that. I yeah. thought there was a box that you could take. Oh, no. maybe they should because that sounds like it's something that a lot of yeah. collectors would en- would you know enjoy just to have that. Yeah. But
3: to be fair, like with Nibs.com, you would not buy a collectible pen from Nibs.com and um, keep it because they have their stupid little stickers on there that you can't actually take off. They, they stick it every single one of their pens with their nibs.com, classic fountain pens, model, brand, tested by who, what's the grind, blah, 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 blah. They've got that on every single freaking box, and it annoys me to the nth degree because if you get a limited edition box, it shouldn't have any other random stickers. She's remove it, it. She's turning no,
1: bright can't. pink right now because it actually Steam. damages
3: the box. <laughs> I have
1: tried. Steam is currently coming out of Sharon's ears right so, now.
0: We're so, so to step away to step away from this particular website, they're not the only ones that offer that service. You have uh, for uh, another one with a big online presence is uh, Nib Smith.
2: More uh, recently, yeah. Yeah,
0: we've talked about Applebaum, uh, Pens of Pens as well, which I can't attest to. Pens of but Pens,
2: been- from the very beginning when he started selling pens, he always offered the service. Um, so Pensive Pens makes his own pens, but he also, I think, is a retailer for inks and pens by other companies. And he's always offered the service where he will offer to test or tune or grind the nibs at charge sure. um, for pens that you buy off his website. And that's from, I think, 2016 or so onwards. Okay
0: so if there there is a good section of the population i think that is like Sharon and that expects when you go to a different company you want that experience from them not an experience tuned by a an intermediary so why uh, if i can put this question to the table why do people seek to get their nibs tuned or customized and how large do you think this market is
2: can I, can I start yeah, with like the very beginning? I think a lot of this has to do with the proportion, the relative proportion of the total amount of sales and how much is being now occupied by people who are buying pens for using versus buying pens just for collecting sure. um, or for giving. And I think if you're just collecting pens or giving pens away for other people, right. the... It's, it's irrelevant, you know, you're, you're buying the pen. A lot of those pens probably will never see use. Um, the aftermarket, whether it's quality, whether it's nib um, specifications, it's not hugely important. But when you're talking about people who are users who maybe have multiple pens, that individualization of the writing experience becomes a lot more crucial to the product that you're selling. Um, another thing would be the interjection of the internet into the retail experience. Um, I think it's probably more difficult to have this customization being done for retail stores. Um, yes. Not that it's impossible, but it would mean you know you have to be in contact with them beforehand or you have to visit them multiple times. If you're visiting a brick and mortar store, you want the pen that you try. The shop to be the pen that you take away with, but if it's a you know a long distance um, via the internet experience, that interjection of the nibmeister or the nib technician. Sorry, I, I know you hate the term nibmeister, Annabelle. Nib technician. Um, having that nib technician as a safety, um, you know, stop. Between you and the manufacturer, that just provides another level of protection and assurance for Mm. someone who's buying on the internet. If you don't get to try it yourself, you want someone to have tried it
0: for you. Sharon, you look like you want to jump in.
3: Yeah, so I think this – it almost colours the experience a little bit because – are you expecting to buy a pen and it's not going to work to your specifications? And that's why you're getting a nib technician to do some works and checks on it. In which case, why shouldn't it work to your specifications, right? If um, So when I disagree with the brick-and-mortar comment because if you go to a number of brick-and-mortar stores, you get tester pens, you're allowed to try the tester pens, but ultimately what you take home is not going to be the same nib as is on the tester pen. Um, so certain certain brick-and-mortars... Um, brick-and-mortars brick mortars mortars, will let you test the pen yep, that you buy. Absolutely. Some will let you, but others won't. So if you go and try, uh, for instance, a Nakaya nib, right? Nakayas come all with um, testers, So you try the well-worn down tester nibs and you think, wow, geez, these are really great. But what you're taking home at the end of the day is not the tester nib. It is literally a brand new nib that has not seen any type of work right so that is prefaced on the assumption that your nib should work exactly like the tester it should work exactly like the tester and it should work straight out of the box and that that shouldn't be something that is a surprise or should need an extra layer between the manufacturer and the consumer it should just be that particular experience so when you get a pen if you're getting one that's already been tuned or it's been worked on by a nib technician before it even gets to your hands. How are you able to judge the quality of the actual manufacturer?
0: Sure. You, you have no take of the direct from manufacturer yeah. quality. Okay.
1: Tav, uh, you wanted to say something? Yeah. I'm, I was going to weigh in on this um, mainly because I get contacted as an aftermarket nib technician. I much prefer that to nib myself. I hate that term so much. So, I feel you, Annabelle. I feel you. Um, so, I think there are a number of factors that I've seen. Uh, one of them is, yes, as Diana said, the internet... They also the internet will also tell you what a pen should write like which isn't necessarily an objective thing. People go I like a really buttery smooth nib that writes wet. And then someone will go oh actually maybe I like that too and then so people form their own opinions and sometimes without having used the pen in yeah, question sometimes and so there are some people out there for example a Sailor nib. Some Sailor nibs feel like you're writing with a graphite pencil. Same with Aurora nibs. And it's not the company's fault. It's not a QC issue if the pen feels a little bit rough. Um, Back in the day, there wasn't an internet to tell you what you should or shouldn't like or to share people's opinions. And so if you bought a fountain pen, it wrote how it wrote. But now the internet's telling you, well, actually, this is how it could write. Do you think you'd like that a little bit better? And so now you've got people who want a little bit more
2: but presumably back in those days you would have someone in the brick and mortar who would be able to tell you this is a sailor that you're trying and what you're feeling what you're experiencing with the nib is normal and characteristic yes, of yes yes
1: and no a lot of pens were also sold via mail order too okay so that was you know you you didn't get to test it you didn't get a nib technician on hand I mean there would be in the factory And there probably was a bit less mass production. But still, you would still order pens, not online, but via mail order instead. So that would be the case.
0: You've touched on an interesting thing about the internet. And there are, uh, and you've talked a lot about the trends uh, in previous episodes that happen on the internet with pens. And a lot of these grinds tend to follow sweeping trends. So people, not everyone is getting their pens ground down to needle points, or not everyone is just... Seeing nib, for, uh, you know, nib technicians for tuning.
2: Architects but and naginatas are the hot new thing. I realized what right. I
0: was going to get into. Architects, there is no company that makes a stock architect. There are companies that make stock italics, stock stubs. They're quite often larger. So some people want fine cursive italics some people want fine stuffs. and these are things that have piggybacked off probably the most major uh in terms of affecting the industry that i've seen and feel free to correct me uh the the main trend uh with fountain pen usage uh being flex uh, in the past couple of years that i've seen
1: i feel like it's kind of dying back actually not, not as many people are demanding flex nibs but it nowadays. was
0: Probably the main one of, at least when when
1: I got it, two years ago, let's say. I think probably the end of last year was kind of when it started to die down. I've noticed a significant drop in people demanding certainly.
2: I'm seeing a lot less sponsored posts around the internet of really unethical eBay and Etsy buyers who just sell like... Jin Haos with
3: Zebra G- G's, Zebra G's yeah, yeah. attached them for like oh, $50. <laughs> I could rant for hours
1: yep, about those yep, guys. Yep. God. Yeah,
3: but I do th- I do think nowadays the recent trend is just to get something that's Naginata. Get everything in a Naginata.
1: Grind. Oh, totally. It's a
0: scarcity thing as well. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but, so that's a, but I see post, uh, post-sale customizations as a different thing as post-sale tuning um, or even pre-sale tuning. Uh, I see them as two different things because one of them is is making it so that it works for your style of writing. It could be a stub, that's a customization. That's like, um, imagine taking your... You know, imagine if you bought a car from a dealership and you wanted to have it upgraded to something. Sure. Versus you just wanted the mechanics to have a look over it and make sure it's all working as it should.
0: So if I can kind of paraphrase this... Uh, Sharon, your expectation would be closer to uh, buying clothes off the rack and having them fit perfectly. Uh, and you would pick a company that had a fit that you knew would work for you or or because a company that you had previously bought for that had uh, either a poor finish or fits that weren't pleasing to you, you would avoid.
3: Probably not like that. Okay. I, I'd probably more explain it more like... I buy pens as if they were straight out of the box um, computers without needing any type of customization, any type of upgrades. They come as they come. And if I decide I need a better graphics card or I need a different type of nib experience, I will get that upgrade later on. But I expect them to work straight out of the box because that is what you're paying for. In what other realm do you buy something knowing that it's not going to work? Like, do you buy a pair of shoes expecting that it's not going to fit you? Or do you... Like I don't know. Do you buy a bowl of champagne and expect that you have to add extra strawberries to it?
0: Sure. And on the and, and on the flip side of that, uh, Tav, uh, you're saying that an element of customization to the consumer uh, would is is not uh, out of question for you.
1: It's it's not out of question, but it's it's. I see it as a different uh, category of, of service provided. I I think that there's something completely different about an
0: adjustment rather than fixing and ex- yeah
1: uh no not not so much it's it'd be cut like a uh, um sewing on i don't know sewing on a patch to a garment that you've bought rather than you know um maybe just taking rather it in a little taking bit it in yeah most well, many good clothing stores will just do a tiny little adjustment here and there to make a shirt fit a bit better maybe they'll move a button here maybe they'll just adjust the the pleat here or something like that rather than, oh, I'll sew this patch on for you as well. I mean, yeah. not quite the same because a patch is pretty easy to sew on, but yeah. still that kind of thing. Or they'll custom screen print something on it or or embroider it with some kind of logo. That's what I see it as. Um, so.
2: so if I remember correctly, Chuck, you brought up this topic after we were talking about people who buy a pen online and before they've even written with it they have it sent to someone else a third-party nibmeister yes to be worked on and i from a personal perspective i don't see there's necessarily anything wrong with that particularly if it's in cases like i think you've experienced where um, the pen is limited you bought it online for a good price um, it's a model that you wanted but it's a nib that you necessarily um maybe don't want and so you bought it knowing that you're going to have to get the nib adjusted yes yes
0: and i don't think of it as as a perhaps a a negative thing in that what i'm doing and this is probably more aligned with tav's line uh, of reasoning is that i am intending to get this product and i know that there's a facet of the product that doesn't necessarily work exactly for me and i'm willing to get that facet attuned to me if I can have everything else. Uh, and that is kind of where the question arose because I'm not sure how long this has been a purpose because now we're doing a lot of talking about pens as passion, as, as a uh, hobby. And prior to when pens were essential business tool, right? Uh, and there was an art element, there was uh, all of that. But with essential business tool, was there as much customization? Was there not? Th- these are things that I don't necessarily know all that. Not much as
1: much customization. Uh, or if there was customization, it'd be custom made yeah. for you. You would contact the factory or the company and you'd say, "Look, I require a stub nib," and they would make one for you. Rather than you would buy a pen and send it to a guy to grind it. I think grinding is a relatively new thing. I'm not talking about in the past few years. I'm talking maybe, maybe yeah, few past few decades. Yeah because as i said back in the day if you ordered a waterman 52 for example and you needed a broad stub you would order that and they would make it to order it wouldn't be carried in most shops
2: i think if you if you don't look at it as a necessary step in the retail experience if it's just an option then it's perfectly fine you know you can opt in you can yeah, opt out course. it's like any other option maybe some stores don't carry the size that you want this additional step of having someone work on the nib allows you to expand the scope of your choices online when you shop Um, and it means from the retailer's perspective that you can buy a pen that you otherwise would not have bought right Um, so it encourages buying (laughs) it encourages you to spend more money and that's good for the retail environment Um, on the other side I think it's a really interesting way for people who are working on nibs to, I guess, to get some experience in the industry. Does that does that make sense? Mm. Um,
0: the the interesting thing, and I, I don't want to cut you off here. We can we can circle back around to it. The interesting thing for me is that companies with perhaps reputations of spotty QC by retailing through. These places that allow adjustment, it allows them to mask QC or, or QA issues by saying they handled it.
1: What I will say is that the recent sort of advent of nib technicians and nib tuners has allowed companies to get away with a lot more stuff. Um, I find it very like rare nowadays that I buy a pen from certain brands and have it work well out of the box. Some brands consistently, yes. Other brands, and that's the thing, I've even been surprised, like Sailor. My last Sailor purchase was a pretty hefty you know, price for me and it had a baby's bottom. And th- this was a Sailor Zoom nib, which is, I've never seen that happen before. And I bought it from a company that doesn't specifically tune their pens. And so I think it allows the companies to get away with letting things slide a little bit more.
2: I think the perspective we're missing in this discussion is the perspective of the retailers themselves and whether they feel that it's um, odious or burdensome or and whether there's any change in that burden that they feel that pen manufacturers are offloading onto them in terms of QC because they're the front line, right? If customers have any complaints, they complain to the retailer and the retailer is the one who has to give a response of some sort and they have to deal with the manufacturer and ultimately they're the ones whose um, sales take the most immediate
0: exactly and if a retailer uh, sells a pen the customer can do all they want on social media and uh, whatever to be like i got the pen from this company and that company can turn around and say yeah but you bought it from them so that's their issue, right? Unless it goes through the company's official channel. So I, I think it. There's a level of there's a level of armor that uh, a company uh, is given by using a retailer that has this ability, uh, or any uh, the any retailer that offers any service, whether it be tuning and grinding, to even just. Checking, there's there's a level that of plausible deniability, and I think that's an interesting
1: space. That's entirely true, yeah. and I have to give a lot of people uh, warnings. I, I have multiple people who have my address saved in their like as as their address in um, you know ver- various online stores. I've had plenty of people send pens directly to me they'll buy it and have it sent to my address instead this is exactly what, I, what yeah I'm and I have to on. tell them just letting you know the moment I touch that nib the warranty is technically null and void and a company would love to wash their hands of if, if, for example I, I recently tuned a Montblanc I can't remember the one the one that has a retractable nib but it's also piston filled I can't remember the 1912 gorgeous pen but the uh, <laughs> the nib was horrendously misaligned. I have never seen a Mont Blanc with tines that looked like that unless it was dropped. And this was apparently out of the box. And so but that being said, by aligning those tines I voided the warranty. But I don't understand why. I didn't like, just, just, just
0: send it back
1: to Yeah. The... Well, I think this one was out of warranty by sure, that time. Sure. Like it was old enough that it was out of warranty, but still sure. sure. It, it it does kind of give companies, as you said, a bit of armour going, oh, well, actually, had you not touched that nib, it would have been fine. We don't know yeah. that, technically speaking. Everyone has to start filming unboxing Yeah, exactly. Now. Well, yeah.
2: I think what we're getting from this conversation is that a lot of this has risen, um, or at least the industry of nib technicians working on pens to tune them to make sure that they work as promised. That has arisen because manufacturers have been like sleeping on the job. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yes. And I've noticed, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not like it's a, an increasing trend, maybe it's slightly increased, mm-hmm. but you know, going as far back as 15, 20 years, I've seen website old websites of people saying, uh, you know, as many as 60, 70% of nibs require some kind of adjustment to work, not necessarily perfectly for every person, but to work as the average person would believe a nib should.
2: But okay. So Having recognised this is a problem. um, I'm sure there are heaps of retailers who do work on the nibs before they sell it to you, but they don't market that fact. So people who buy the pen don't know that there's this additional level of QC. And... I think that's a disservice to the retailer, to be honest. I think they should make it known that we have worked on this nib. And th- that's why I think it's – that's why I, I really like the fact that um, nibs.com, they have that sticker that yeah. tells you this pen has been checked Ugh. and tuned already. Uh, and but I'm, you know what
3: I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, there should I, be an option. I, I think that – I mean, I think we – we're giving manufacturers a lot of leeway in uh, in this particular scenario because you're not holding them accountable to the level of quality and the standard of quality that you are expecting from a manufacturer. And instead, you're trying to backfill it by a retailer. And I'm of the opinion that you should not need a nib technician to work on a pen here, here. for it to work here, here. for it to write straight out of the box yeah. that is the experience that you want and so if you're getting a lot of pen reviewers or if you're getting people who you know you're you're trying to um, get reviews or uh, opinions of particular pens and they're getting them from places where they're getting them tuned well beforehand then is that really uh, is that really an out of box experience is that really the right comparison
0: there's a pen review there's uh, not a, not only one there are multiple pen reviews i see that will gloss over the fact they'll gloss over the fact and they'll say it was such and such out of the box but after a couple passes after a couple passes with micromesh it was amazing.
1: That's not a gloss over factor. That's a yeah, key point. That's, it's that, like, that's
3: right. That's oh, a I key had to
1: just you know the car that I drove out of the dealership. You know, I had to adjust a few of the screws and, and nuts and bolts, but yeah. after that it worked that's fine. Not yeah. something yeah. to gloss over.
3: <laughs> no. And so every single pen that I own has not been tuned, aside from a couple of nibs.com's ones. I think you've, you've
1: asked me to tune a few of them that you have already write with, though, right? Uh,
3: no, no, really? I haven't.
1: You, you don't? Haven't. You don't like any of them? I don't Maybe like I'm my thinking, pens
3: t- I I don't like my pens i think it would be diana the only the only ones that i have tuned have been ones that i've done myself to smooth out certain things and just very very minor tuning because that's just something that i want to do myself but as a whole i expect pens to write perfectly out of a box and i don't think that's too much of an expectation and anything else beyond that just blows my mind now am I going to get the best writing pen straight out of the box probably not I've seen pens who you know I've I've used pens from other people who get every single one of theirs tuned every single one of them tuned and they write so much better than my pens right like unfortunately it's it's true but am I going to sacrifice my integrity? Yeah, that? Uh, so i was gonna I'm all say, about the integrity. I was going to say on
0: this spectrum, you tend I'm a to, purist. You're, you're on the idealist side of the spectrum, whereas
1: Tav tends towards the pragmatist side of the spectrum. Well, I was going to also offer a sort of a, a, a perspective, one perspective possibly from the retailer's side. Sending pens back to the manufacturer can be a real pain. And so...
2: But I'm pretty sure that's intentional.
1: It, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, it depends so, on the manufacturer. So sometimes I think these pen companies, sorry, these pen shops are saving themselves the agony of going, Hi, yes, this is such and such from the pen shop. We've got another pen we need to send back to you because it's crap. Especially you know? so, if it's a consistent QC. Yeah, yeah. And so they would have, you know, if, if, I don't know, every pen from this brand has a baby bottom, sending all of them back to the manufacturer and bringing them all back, that takes a lot of time it will lose you customers because some of the manufacturers might take years, literally years.
2: So this is where Sharon's, her principles, I think, if we all could – Adhere to those principles, we would be able to force manufacturers to oh, up their game. I
1: would love to not have to exist, yeah. except for maybe grinding nibs. I would love to not but, have but to. But
2: you do know that. what I mean. Oh, I'm like,
1: just going to agree with you. In if general, but... if
2: we all decided, oh. if we all decided to hold manufacturers responsible as buyers for their nib defects, and not have to demand that we have to send them back and have to wait another six months, or at least pay us for our time um, of having that nib. Out of our hands, right? Because we already bought that fucking
1: yeah. Dip. I mean, I yeah. um, Ooh, that's our one. Getting, getting like,
2: <laughs> I one. Like, I get really annoyed about this. I get. really angry about the opacity of the opaqueness of the industry about sending things back after you've bought them when it's not our fault it's not user fault it's manufacturer fault and i get really angry at the retailers behalf that they have to deal with manufacturers like this and that they have to carry those brands because they sell so and they sell because consumers still want them even though we know that the quality is shit And, and
0: and to stock certain brands as well there are a lot of stipulations from certain brands. I know I'm uh not not for specifics, but I I know that if you want to carry Sailor you can't really be selective about which models. You, you can't just to, keep the
1: inks, for example. You yeah, have to yeah. sell all you all stock pens. sailor.
0: And so that me- that makes you beholden to manufacturer demands as well if you want to maintain that part well, of the... Well,
1: another thing that some retailers do, and I think this is less ethical than tuning or anything else, is that they demand that customers deal directly with the manufacturer. And I and in Australia, I know that's illegal. I don't know about other countries. But when I buy, for example, I bought a sailor from a very reputable pen seller in the U.S. And they pretty much just said they just washed their hands of it and went, no, nah, Contact the distributor. Contact them. It's not our problem. And so I, that pen's been gone for months, and I'm I haven't seen it. I haven't heard about it. So well, that's so that's pretty I'm, unethical too.
3: I, I think this is where I take a I take a stance. I take an absolute stance where. If it's not going to work straight out of a box, then I'm not going to go – I'm not going to try my luck with that brand ever again. I'll give them one go and then that's about it. So there are certain brands that I will not buy anymore. Absolutely not. Mostly Italian, just so happens. that. Uh, so I will never buy another Visconti ever again. I will never buy another Montegrappa ever again because, you know, their spotty QC is something that I pay for in whether it's with time or with – you know, postage costs or with technician costs. Like that for me, no, I, I, I refuse to
2: be a butt of that. Yeah, concluding thoughts. So next time you buy a pen online, think about the manufacturer that you're supporting with those dollars and whether you want to support their uh, current manufacturing practices with those dollars yes. and whether you should be supporting or you should be encouraging them to continue with their current QC yeah, um,
1: uh, trends. I think be a lot of the people who send pens to me, like think, are you sending it straight to me because you want a customization? Fine. But if you want to send it to me just in case it works Don't buy bad. It. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'll do it. I'll check it out for you. But it makes me feel really sad.
0: There's this, this <laughs> other... There's other companies that deserve your attention at that, at that point. Exactly. Uh, which and is the, the closing of my thoughts. Yeah,
1: it's, it's, it's sad to see even companies that were previously known as companies that were like 100% reliable, you know, people would go, well, Visconti might have those problems, but at least Sailor doesn't. And then I get my first Sailor in a while, and it's got the problem that many Viscontis have, which is a baby's bottom. I think, oh, they're doing it too now. They've slackened mm. off.
0: Uh, That takes us to our recommendation section. Uh, So this is where we recommend things that we love that may or may not be pen and paper related. Uh, Would anyone like to go first?
1: I'll go first. Um, This is a weird one. I made a discovery a little while ago and I feel like I should share it with the world. To those of you who want to eat a little bit more healthy, but they really like using cream in their cooking, put Greek yogurt there instead. It actually tastes, for the most part, better.
2: Is this Tav or is it Anthony Porofsky?
1: Who do you- <laughs> exactly? <laughs> okay.
0: do, you ever, do you ever preferred Do you ever preferred, I know, I know, uh, my partner loves Jalna.
1: Jalna nah, Greek yogurt. Nah, I can't remember. I think it's called Farmers Union. That's okay. the one that's really good for cooking. Okay. Um, but yeah, like you know, I like lo- re- I love pesto. I love pesto so much, and you know, I'm using a like a, an app to track my calories and everything. It's worked so far, but I really feel like pesto, and I'm thinking I can't put cream in it. I'll put just non-fat Greek yogurt, and it actually works.
2: Yogurt in pesto?
1: It works.
2: But pesto it's... is just oil and herbs.
1: No, but there's also like creamy pesto. You can have creamy pesto and non-creamy pesto. No. Uh, yeah, you <laughs> I've can. never yeah, had creamy yeah, pesto. I, I have. Okay. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> it works. It, it works. It also can sometimes, depending on the recipe, you can sub it in for mayonnaise as well in some recipes too. Okay. So... And also just eat Greek yogurt because it's freaking mm, delicious. Greek
0: yogurt is...
1: is
2: Unless great. you're lactose intolerant. Yeah. Uh, and then <laughs> there's,
0: uh, there's, there's... Have you been, tried being more tolerant? Like a more tolerant uh, have you tried not being lactose intolerant? <laughs> um,
1: you're such an intolerant
0: person, uh, die, Jeez. Uh, I would like to recommend uh, an album by uh, Jose James uh, and it is called Lean on Me and it is all Bill Withers covers. It's a tall order covering Bill Withers. Bill Withers is uh, a singular entity and even um, in a. I'm going to scratch that because I can't remember the name of the guy. (laughs) I can't remember the name of the guy uh, because I had it and it slipped my memory. Uh, Covering.
2: uh, I'm going to come in with my recommendation. I keep forgetting this recommendation, but I wrote it down this time. My recommendation is a channel on YouTube called French Cooking Academy. Um, I think it's Stefan. Uh, He has a Patreon as well. He cooks... Very, very classical French cuisine, French like um, farmhouse cuisine, as well as recipes out of Escoffier, but with a really good focus, a really solid focus on technique. So he has like series on doing mise en place, on making basic stocks, stocks out of stocks. Like it's it's hearty. Not really healthy, but really hearty, delicious French food. Lots and I love butter. French food. <laughs>
3: lots of butter, lots of cream.
1: And if you want to make it more healthy, just add Greek yogurt. <laughs>
3: uh, I just
0: remembered what I was going to say. <laughs> okay. Um, so covering Bill Withers is tough. Uh, singular entity. Even Luther Vandross tried to hold the note that he did in Lovely Day when uh, doing a tribute show and failed. Had to take a breath in the middle. Jose James does takes of it that are different enough that they're enjoyable, but similar enough that they really uh, they really align with the spirit of it. I quite like the moodier version of Grandma's Hands that he does. But Jose James, Lean on Me, uh, it's a Bill Withers cover album.
3: Sharon, uh, so my recommendation this week is uh, I picked up a new skincare item, which is a new moisturiser. Greek yogurt. Um, It's not Greek yogurt. Trouble, honey. Consistency. Um, It is by Drunk Elephant, and it's their new Lala Retro Whipped Cream Moisturiser, which now comes with ceramides. New as of, what, two weeks ago? Um... So I've been new to this and I've been trying to improve my general uh, skincare regime because, you know, I'm not 25 anymore and my skin just doesn't bounce back the way that it used to. So all of those, you know, vitamins and... The um, chemicals that you're meant to put on your face to try and preserve its youth: retinols, retinols, Blood hyaluronic acid, hyaluronic acid, lactic acids, like the lot. Um, I'm now really buying into, and um, I really quite like. I've had very good experience so far over the last what three weeks, three four weeks, with uh, the La La cream by Drunk Elephant. Drunk Elephant's really good. Yeah, so a bit hit and miss on some of their stuff. I like their eye cream, their eye serum. It's currently in my
0: fridge. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you, Tev, for for joining us once again. Thanks for having me again. It's been great. All right. Thank you, Sharon, for giving us your living space once again. Thank you for Seb.
3: Oh, all good. Uh, Thank you, Seb.
0: Uh, uh, thank you once again Diana uh, for uh, doing uh, the lion's share of compilation on a lot of our stuff but uh, for uh, everything once again
2: <laughs> you're welcome Chuck
0: uh, and until next time listeners uh, my name is Chuck as always and ink well uh, past and future episodes of this podcast can be found at thenibsection.com and wherever you listen to podcasts hop onto iTunes, rate us, review us and recommend us to your friends want to share your thoughts, suggestions or feedback we'd love to hear from you email us at thenibsection at gmail.com you can also comment at us on the nib section facebook page or at the nib section on twitter and instagram the nib section is the official podcast of fountain pencil oceania our producers this episode were chuck montano sharon za diana dye special guest was annabelle hiller recording and editing was done by diana dye our music was composed by michael pierce our logo was designed by will h smith with artwork by melissa Graf. thanks for listening